Welcome to the Fund's Title Now pop-up webinar. I'm Melissa Murphy with the Fund, and I have the pleasure to host these webinars from time to time on topics of interest to the real estate transaction world. We push this content out to our podcast also, so that way you have continuing access to the conversation. You can share it with interested colleagues or friends. And coincidentally, our podcast is called Title Now also, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. So please subscribe. We would love to share information with you, and I would love to get feedback about the topics that we talk about. So one housekeeping item before we get started, you have the opportunity to pose questions uh, to us in the chat function. Just pose your question there. And I have Bob Rohan from our legal education department who will be monitoring the chat. And toward the end of our presentation, I'll ask Bob if there are any questions out there that you would like for us to answer. So let's talk about money. Dealing with the funds in a real estate transaction is one of the most important responsibilities of a closing agent. It's your job to disperse the funds to cover closing costs, seller proceeds, real estate commissions, mortgage payoffs, and it's obvious that the parties to the transaction rely on you to do that properly without a hitch. We also have to consider what rules have to be followed. Both lawyers and licensed title agents are governed by what are governed by what we commonly call the good funds rule. Lawyers have to adhere to the good funds rule uh, promulgated by the Florida Bar and licensed title agents have to comply with the good funds rule that's in our Florida Administrative Code. Now these rules are pretty similar, but they're not identical. But the similarity is pretty simple and is around that basic concept. You need to have money in the bank that you are pretty darn sure is real, secure, and irrevocable before you disperse that money. And the language of both the Florida Bar Rule and the Florida Administrative Code refers to collected funds. And they define that as deposited, finally settled, and credited to the trust account. Otherwise, you're using someone else's money, another client, to cover the check you've written. And that's not good. So the challenge is knowing when the money, however it's been delivered to you, is finally settled. And it seems to me that banks have different rules um, around when monies are gonna be available to you. Now, there are also exceptions. There's always an exception to every rule, right? Both title agents and attorneys are allowed to make exceptions for these strict rules. But the exception is based on an intangible thing. If they have a reasonable or prudent belief, the deposit will become collected funds within a reasonable time, they can disperse. 
you know, you might be uncomfortable taking that risk. So is there a solution to this? Is there a better way for money to be sent to a closing agent, for a closing agent to be able to disperse the money that's been sent to them? And there is a form of payment coming our way that many think is a great solution to these challenges, real-time payments. And with me today is Rick Bruin from the U.S. Bank to talk with us about real-time payments. Rick is a vice president at U.S. Bank, and he is head of commercial deposits and payment solutions there. So welcome, Rick. Thanks for being here and helping us understand this new form of sending money. Thanks, Melissa. Happy to be here and uh, love talking about RTP and payment innovations. So, Well, let's start, start out with what I hope is a softball question to you. <laughs> Give us a high-level definition of a real-time payment. Yeah, great, great question, right? So real-time payments are the very first payment rail new payment rail launched in the last 40 years within the United States. You know, RTP was, is, while it's still new in the U.S., it's not super new, right? It launched in 2017 with the first payment actually being sent um, earlier that year between us, U.S. Bank, and, and Bank of New York Mellon. Um, over time, you know, that uh, the participation within the RTP network has certainly expanded, um, and the utilization of that network has also expanded. Um, you know, there are a lot of a, a lot of positive things around real-time payments. It's it's currently managed by the Clearinghouse, which is a consortium of 23 of the largest banks in the United States and, and internationally um, that operates different payment infrastructures within the within the financial institution sector. Um, and you know, RTP was was built to compete with some real-time payments platforms that are available and have been actually for as, as long as 20 plus years in, in other foreign countries such as Japan, China, other other parts of the world. So you know, RTP is certainly a game changer. Um, I've been involved in the title and escrow industry and the banking side for 15 plus years now, um, in, in a multitude of different capacities within U.S. Bank. And, you know, since the day it was launched in 2017, really thought and still believe, you know, RTP has the ability to really be a game changer for the, the title and escrow and settlement services industries without a whole. So how is it different from a wire? How is it different from an ACH payment? Yeah, I mean, fantastic question, right? So. You know, today in the in the title world, right, settlement world, we we deal a lot in wire transfers. You know, there you have finality of payment, the irrevocable ultimately, which you know satisfies the the good funds rules that you were talking about at the top of the call, Melissa. And you know, with RTP, you, you get those same features, right? You get irrevocability, finality of payment, it can't be clawed back. You know, one of the main primary differentiators of RTP to wires are, you know, wires, you're limited by the time frame you can send them, right? So you have from when the Fed window opens, 8 a.m. to, you know, 5.30, 5.45 p.m., depending on your financial institution and, and how long they give you to, to complete that wire transfer process with them. <clears throat> with RTP, it's open 24-7, 365 days a year. You want to settle a transaction on Christmas Day at 5 p.m.? Guess what? You can do that. Um, 
you know, and then, you know, with, with ACH, as most people probably on the call know, I mean, those, depending on the type of ACH payment it is, who it's between, whether it's business to business, business to consumer, consumer to business, there are different clawback rules that apply to all those different payment types. And, you know, the receiver or, you know, if, if it's debiting funds or a consumer account, I mean, they can have up to 60, 90 days in order to dispute that transaction. Whereas with RTP, like wires, you don't have that ability. I mean, it really takes a, an act of God in a way to, to get those funds back once they're sent. And I've also heard that, that uh, ACH payments are not even real time. I mean, yeah, they can be clawed yeah. back, but they're not even real time. That they're, There's some way that the bank kind of waits to send HCH payments out. Can you... Oh, Elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're exactly right. So when you're when you're sending or when you're debiting or crediting, so within the ACH network, you can either push a credit, in essence, you're sending money to somebody, or you can initiate a debit transaction where you're actually pulling money from someone else's account. And in those types of transactions, they're ultimately bashed, and then each bank has different processing windows for their ACH batches um, in which those operate. And they generally are every hour, every two hours, something along those lines, but they certainly are not in real time. So if you initiate one now, you won't technically have funds. That, that, that process won't even start until maybe one, two o'clock, somewhere in that ballpark, depending on your institution. Um, and depending on the type of ACH payment you initiate, it could be same day, which means you get the money at some point today, but there's no guarantee as to timing. Um, it could be a one day or two day settlement as well. So you may not even see the funds for another day or two. And then you still have the uh, dispute window as well to, to navigate. I thought there was that kind of quirky thing about ACH. Yeah. So how does a uh, real-time payment actually work? So what are sort of the logistics? Yeah, fantastic question. So it works you know, RTP has has a number of different functionalities that a wire transfer has and doesn't have, ultimately. So like a wire transfer, you can initiate a payment outgoing um, with an RTP payment, much like you would initiate a wire transfer today through your financial institution. So you probably log into your online banking system software through your financial institution, putting in, you know, payee name, account number, routing number you know, dollar amounts, so maybe additional information, et cetera, um, and initiating that payment. And then you have somebody else probably within your organization that approves that payment before it goes out. Um, then there's also another functionality of real-time payments. It's called request for payment or RFP, um, which works kind of in reverse. So it's similar to ACH debit in the sense that you're in a way, requesting funds from somebody, but it's not, it doesn't operate like ACH debit where it automatically debits their account. So it, within an RFP network or within RFP, within the RTP network, so yourself as a title agent would request payments from me. So say I'm purchasing a house, um, you know, or I signed a contract, right? And, and you're trying to collect the earnest money deposit, $10,000. Um, so the title agent, could go into their banking software, initiate a request for payment, but that'll come to me. And it's not an email, it's not a text message that I receive, any of that stuff. It will actually be a notification that I receive on my banking app, on my telephone, on my cell phone, iPhone, whatever, Android, 
Um, so it pop up on the on the U.S. Bank app. You, know, you have a, a request for payment from ABC Title Company. You know, I open my app. You know, go through the authentication process with my bank to access the app and review the details of the request for payment. Um, and if I accept that and agree to pay it within the app, it'll automatically then send those funds from my account, obviously assuming they are there and available and collected. <laughs> um, won't allow me to overdraft my account to send the money to, but uh, you know, a- able to send those funds over to the title agent in real time. Um, as soon as I click accept or approve, those funds immediately leave my account and then would credit the, the title agent's account. So the only delay in payment would be if you're not paying attention to your phone and you don't get the notification that the request for payment has come to you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're exactly you're right. Watching no. a, the Ohio Michigan Ohio State Michigan. <laughs> Michigan game, right? and, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and we are seeing use cases today within the industry space where it is being utilized to collect earnest money right now today in real time. So when the closing agent sends the RFP, the request for payment to the buyer, do they need any information other than just the buyer's name and cell phone number? How do they connect with the buyer? Great, great question, Melissa. So, you know, today, much like with the existing process, they will need the client's name, you know, full name, account number, routing number um, in order to initiate an RFP today. Uh, you know, so when you're you're collect if you're collecting that money outside of the client being in your office, right? So you know you, you still have to have a uh, a secure method for which to collect that data ultimately, um, and then you know be able to populate that into your banking software. You know, if future state, you know, you you could look at a situation in the future where you know you could actually be collecting that information at the closing table without ever having to request that information upfront if you're dispersing closing funds to a, a seller or like a cash out refinance. So that's the earnest money deposit scenario, but I'm kind of getting the impression that this could be a very cool tool to use at the closing table. So I think you've given some thought to how great this could be at the closing table. So tell us about that. Absolutely. So, you know, I, 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 I've been sitting around thinking about this for for a while, and and you know I know for a lot of the uh, the people on the call probably don't realize, but you know the RT the limit there is a limit for RTP payments today. It's a million dollars. When it was first launched in 2017, it was ten thousand dollars. So there wasn't really a wide applicability for for the real estate settlement services space at, at ten thousand dollars, and then it went to a hundred thousand, and even then. Yeah, for cash out refi or to pay, you know, brokers, real estate agents, stuff like that. There was some some common sense uses to to be able to utilize RTP at a million dollars. You know, you cover ninety five percent probably of residential resales nationwide, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and obviously, wire fraud is pertinent and and you know on the top of everybody's minds within the industry space, without a doubt. Um, we see all the time, you know, instances where business email compromise or, or other avenues are utilized to, to gain access to escrow accounts or to dupe consumers into sending information to, to a fraudster or, you know, sending wires, you know, to a fraudster um, inadvertently. You know, in, in an RFP RTP world, 
in the future state. Um, you know, you can imagine a situation where, you know, as a title agent, you can articulate to your real estate agents, consumers, builders, whomever you're working with, you know, we will never send wiring instructions to a consumer ever, period. You know, it, it, you're never going to have to do that. So there's no business email to compromise ultimately at the end of the day, right? You know, and in that scenario, you show up to the closing table. You know, you, your your consumer comes to the closing table, whether it's a refinance or a purchase sale, et cetera, um, sign all your documents. And then, you know, if there's cash to collect for closing from, from the buyer, um, you, your escrow agent or closer or whomever, and, and you're, you, would, you would designate in, in your agency, can initiate a request for payment to the consumer there at the closing table from an iPad, from a laptop, whatever, that notification shows up on the consumer's phone. The consumer is able to go in and respond to that RFP. You know, ABC title agency needs $50,000 for cash to close on a, you know, transaction one, two, three, four for XYZ property. They, you know, accept, approve that transaction. The funds immediately leave their checking account, savings account, money market account, whichever, um, and automatically populate into the title company's escrow account um, right there at the closing table, all done with all parties present. And that money is finally settled right then and there. Absolutely. Can't be called back just like a wire transfer. And... I mean, I, I think that this just brings up really cool images in my mind of how great this would be sitting at a closing table. All the documents are signed. Closing agent says, okay, buyer, are you happy? Yes. Okay, seller, are you happy? Yes. You send the request for payment to the buyer in, you know, a minute or two. They get that request for payment on their phone. They open it up. They hit accept, boom, the money is there. And it sounds like the closing agent could turn to the seller and say, all right, I'm sending you your net proceeds. Boom, here they go. Yep. And they could also do that with the real estate commission. Yeah, you're exactly right. So <laughs> how, much is, would, how much would a realtor like that? All right. <laughs> And, you know, we even go back to the dates when the real-time payment transaction limits were $10,000 per payment. We had clients within our, our title and escrow industry vertical portfolio that were actually utilizing that five years ago to pay real estate agents and brokers because it was a, a it, for their purposes, it was a uh, competitive advantage because they could pay realtors in real time. There was no fee for the realtor to receive a real-time payment, unlike with a wire transfer where they get dinged by their bank for $20, $30, $40 fee, depending on the institution, right? Um, you know, the realtor didn't want to come to the closing and collect the check and then have to go to their bank and deposit the check. <laughs> they don't have to. Get the funds in real time immediately, available to them, and, and free of charge to receive. All right, this sounds too good to be true, Rick, so... What are the challenges? What are the challenges yeah. that we're facing right now? Like with all new technology, right? It's adoption ultimately is, is the number one challenge. So roughly 60, 65% of um, 
all DDA accounts nationwide are covered by RTP participating banks. So a bank has to be a participating institution on the RTP network in order to, you know, initiate or receive a payment. And they can participate in a lot of different ways. They can just be, they can participate in, in the clearinghouse and the RTP network and just be a receiving bank where they can, you know, receive RTP payments or RFPs, et cetera. Um, or they can be an initiation bank, right? So, you know, some smaller institutions will participate and be, you know, a, in essence, just a, a participating bank to receive payments where, you know, a lot of larger banks like us are, in essence, you know, full participants within the RTP network. Um, all the major banks are, you know, a lot of the regional banks, if not all of them are today. I know in talking directly with the clearinghouse, you know, they could add the next 10 largest banks that are not participants and it really would not move the dial more than one or two percentage points um, ultimately. So it's mostly smaller institutions today that are not participating on the RTP network. Um, and then on the RFP side, that's a new functionality within the RTP network that's really only been up and running for, gosh, basically 2022. Um, all participants within the RTP network today all of their clients can read all their commercial or corporate banking clients, business clients can respond to an RFP. However, the, the limitation really right now on, on that aspect is only two banks, U.S. Bank and City, currently allow consumers to receive and process an RFP request. Um, by the end of this year, we anticipate a couple of the other larger banks, Wells, Bank of America, um, to also be included in that. And we anticipate, you know, a, a much larger amount to, to onboard in 2023 as well. So it sounds like the, the big challenge right now is that only a very few banks allow consumer clients, consumers with mm -hmm. accounts at that bank to receive an RFP. So that clearly is a limitation on the population that can take advantage of this currently. So is the resistance because yeah. it, there's a huge cost to a bank to build the technology environment that will support this? Is that the reason why the smaller regionals are lagging? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a technological cost to it. So, I mean, being a brand new payment rail, they have to code their systems, you know, to that, that payment infrastructure. Um, and, you know, FedNow is coming as well. And, and a lot of people think that FedNow will jumpstart adoption around RTP um, and that more banks will be on FedNow. Like RTP, any bank, you know, that, that you know, currently obviously is, is tied to the Fed network directly will have the option to, to utilize FedNow. And a lot of banks will use both FedNow and the RTP networks. What people don't realize is there's still going to be a coding infrastructure challenge with FedNow when it comes out because it as well is a new is a new payment rail ultimately from the Fed, so it's not going to run over the old 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 wire Fed wire rails. So there's still going to be some uplift there on on institutions to code to that, and we would, would anticipate that you know institutions that would ultimately code to FedNow will probably and are not on RTP today will probably code to both at the same time as opposed to you know picking one or the other. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's new. There, there certainly is a, a lift on cost associated with that. Um, even with um, smaller institutions today, what, what a lot of people may or may not realize, you know, on smaller financial institutions, in a lot of ways, we'll use the balance sheets or infrastructure of larger institutions like a U.S. Bank, Bank of America, or Wells, um, it, it, 
through their correspondent banking groups and ultimately utilize some of the payment infrastructures that they have in place there to credit accounts um, for those smaller institutions. So we've seen, you know, even, even some smaller institutions come to us and look to utilize RTP through U.S. banks channels on the network versus coding themselves. Oh, so they just kind of lease space on your exactly. payment rail. Yeah, think of it like a click fee, right? On uh, yeah. uh, you know, from a, from a technology company. Well, one of um, the goals I have of hosting this webinar and pushing this out on the podcast is that uh, that'll reach a whole lot of consumers that have consumer accounts that will start pressuring their banks to make this a reality, um, and certainly. Attorneys and title agents have business accounts with their lenders, and, and hopefully this will drive awareness, which will put some pressure on banks to get on this train so that we can make payments a lot more efficient. What, what's the cost of sending and receiving payments through RTB? Are they comparable to wire transfer fees? Actually, Melissa, they're, they're a, a lot cheaper than sending a wire transfer. Um, you know, so I, I can't speak for all institutions. I can tell you, you know, from US Bank's perspective, you know, for for title companies, wires start at four, they're basically four dollars incoming and or outgoing for wire transfers. For RTP based on volume, they start at roughly 50 cents and go down from there, depending on the amount that you initiate. Um, and it's for real-time payment transactions, they're free to receive like an ACH. So, you know, if you're a title company receiving an RTP from another title company, it's free for you to receive that. Um, and if you're initiating it, you'll probably pay somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, it should be roughly, you know, pennies compared to what you're paying for wires today. Um, and if you're sending that to a consumer, or as we talked about earlier, a real estate agent or broker, it's free for them to receive those funds. Another benefit, another reason why we need to lobby our banks to make this happen. So my last question is really around um, those darn fraudsters. Uh, fraudsters are you know, the thing that keep closing agents up at night um, and wire, wire instructions, sending, receiving wire instructions, you know, is just ripe for a fraudsters intervention. So how could a fraudster infiltrate this RTP system? Are there some weak links in there that we need to be aware of? No, I mean, not, nothing different than what you would have with the existing wire network today, in the sense if you are just pushing payments out to consumers, as you are with wire transfers today, and you're having to collect the, the consumer information, right? You're not utilizing RFP or any of that. You're, you're still going to have, you know, you, you're still going to have to have ways to securely communicate with a consumer, educate the consumer, and, and receive that information back from the consumer, right, related to their account number and routing number to, to be able to push those payments out. Um, you know, for a fraudster to gain access to the RTP network and initiate, you know, RFPs to consumer accounts fraudulently would be highly difficult. Um, ultimately, they would have to get through a bank's KYC process. Um, you know, they would all, they have to go through the the, the challenges of setting up the accounts, then opening, you know, gaining access to, you know, a commercial banking software system, which is vastly different than, you know, online banking systems that consumers use. 
um, and go through the process of setting up users and, and verifying their identities, so on and so forth, and then initiate RFPs. So the ability to do that is, is very low, ultimately. Um, I think there's a higher risk of rogue actors within institutions utilizing RFP to gain access to, to consumer accounts, but even then the money would have to would come out of the consumer account back into the title company's account, and then they would have to move the money out of the title company into another account ultimately to, to get access to the funds. So there is some risk there, but that sounds like a lot more trouble than just monitoring social media and hacking into somebody's Yahoo email account. Right. So I do exactly. think it'd be harder. Yeah. This has been great information. Uh, we're getting close to the end of our allotted 30 minutes. So Bob Rohan, can you turn on your mic and let us know if we have any questions? Quite a few of them came in. I'm trying to digest them right now. But the first one is, how does this compare to Venmo and Zelle? Yeah, great question. So Venmo and Zelle um, are primarily P2P platforms or could be, you know, what I'll call peer-to-peer, -peer, right? So we're consumer to consumer, consumer to business. Um, you're seeing some use cases for Zelle that are business to business or business to consumer, but on a smaller scale, um, Venmo and Zelle also have um, much lower transaction limits associated with them. Um, and those, while, you know, like with Zelle, you have finality of payment there, you, you technically don't have real settled funds ultimately into your account at the time that you receive the Zelle payment. While there's some funds may show there, that's your bank just showing that, that you know, you have funds that have, have shown up that those funds haven't technically been settled. Most of that's being done over same day ACH platforms, et cetera. Um, and in addition to that, you know, Zelle is starting to utilize RTP to move money, but that's not necessarily that's not necessarily the consumer using RTP to send you funds. That's the bank, you know, that they're banking with RTPing those funds from their institution to you know your depository institution, and then your institution, in essence, you know, taking them out of their house account and, and putting them into your account. Yeah, one of the questions is, uh, they've got a lot of clients in Canada. What about foreign uh, transaction issues? Yeah, right now, um, RTP is just a domestic payment rail. Um, there's been talks about, you know, potentially opening it up to some other, other countries, but those are really still in their infancy at this point. Let's get consumers more involved in it first, then we can deal with other countries. Next question, does the bank have to honor real-time payments? You know, I will answer the question in the sense that if you're initiating a payment to a financial, I'm assuming what you're meaning is if you're sending a payment to a bank, do they have to receive, accept, and deposit those funds? They have to be an RTP participating bank to be able to receive those funds. If they are not, that payment would be rejected by your financial institution. It would never actually leave. Somebody asked, is the only ability to initiate this done electronically? Uh, they're used to calling in their wire instructions. Is that uh, possible with RTP? It, it is not possible with RTP. So all that is done through, through digital rails um, with all the participating banks, to my knowledge, today. I think uh, we have time for one more question, Bob. Okay. 
Uh, well, let me just pick the first one up there. Uh, what if a bad actor impersonates the title company and says an RFP? Oh, there again, they would have to gain access to the title company's online banking, commercial banking software. Um, they would have to initiate the RFP, which would have dual authority. So they would, they would technically need two logins, right, to, to be able to enable that. So they'd have to have an initiator and an approver for the RFP to go out to the consumer. And even if they pulled that off, the funds would still come back in to the title company account. They can't change the account number that that would credit. So, you know, they, it would have to credit the, the account for which was requesting the RFP ultimately. So it would come back into your escrow account. So then those same two bad actors would then have to turn around and initiate and approve a payment outgoing out of the escrow account to a, in essence, third account ultimately to be able to, to move the funds outside the company. Well, Rick, we are out of time, and I want to thank you again for taking the time out of your schedule to share all this information with us. I, Even though it's not something that is ubiquitous today, I know in your perfect world it will be, and maybe I'll invite you back and you can celebrate with me about announcing new banks and new consumers and new rules that are available for RTPs. But um, That'd be awesome. Yeah. You, bet. you bet. And thanks to everybody that was listening in today. I want to remind you that we are going to push this content out on our podcast, which is also called Title Now. So subscribe, share that information with your friends and colleagues. And of course, as always, thank you for your support of the fund.